Hello, and you're listening to EcoJustice Radio, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Welcome. I am Jack Eit. On today's show, Indigenous Regenerative Intelligence, a Navajo Perspective. Host Kerry Kim will be interviewing James Skeet, Executive Director of Covenant Pathways and Spirit Farm in New Mexico. James Skeet with his wife Joyce are the co-founders of Covenant Pathways, a nonprofit organization, and they operate Spirit Farm. James is passionate about reconnecting all peoples to the land through indigenous regenerative intelligence that integrates the ancient native wisdom of the biocosmology to create a haven where soil health, nutrient-rich foods, human health, and free markets can prosper for another 10,000 years. James's heritage has assisted in grounding him in the work he does as a full-blooded Navajo Native American from Vanderwagen, New Mexico. Aloha, this is Carrie Kim. We are honored to have James Skeet joining us to share about biocosmology and indigenous regenerative intelligence, drawing on his Dana, AKA Navajo heritage and his experiences as the co-founder of Covenant Pathways and Spirit Farm. We thank the Tongva ancestors for their enduring presence, legacy, stewardship, and profound connection to this area. Our show comes to you from the ancestral homelands of the Tongva and all of their relatives. And we encourage listeners to actively align with and support the many native nations of Turtle Island, wherever you live and beyond. Regeneration is a common theme these days, but does it go far enough? What of the spirit, biocosmology, connection to the land, to our good hearts and our original ancestral ways? Indigenous regenerative intelligence points to this reunification of that which has become separated through colonization and extractive economy and a reductionist mindset focused on production, self-interest, and materialism. Our future depends upon us personally and collectively returning and remembering our original indigenous regenerative intelligence in order to assist Mother Earth in becoming balanced once again. What has been despoiled and degraded can be transformed, revitalized, and renewed as we collaborate and cooperate with nature and once again live in service to nature and the continuance of life itself. James Skeet is here to share from the depths of his own indigenous regenerative intelligence and remind us why we must all embody an organic indigenous mindset where all things are sacred. Welcome, James. Thank you. I'm I'm really honored, Carrie. Uh, first of all, that's a lot of good accolades, but hopefully I can uh, stretch it out to where we can cover some of this territory that you mentioned. Um, I'm so excited to uh, participate. I came from a very interesting background. Uh, I didn't know how to read uh, until I was in sixth, seventh grade. And that was a wonderful special ed teacher that um, just realized that, you know, this this guy's smarter than, you know, the whole uh, special ed class, you know. So she really invested in me and she taught me how to how to become literate in the European Western mindset. But but just to just to make a note from right. up to that point was my education from an indigenous perspective from my grandfather's grandmothers from my my dad my 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 mom which she didn't speak much english and that's where i learned the uh dene language and i'm from the uh clan which is a red cheek clan uh it's a kind of a warrior clan similar mm -hmm. to a and some other uh it's sort of like the dog soldiers of 
the mm. Napa people, the Diné people. And then mm. my other side, my my paternal side would be my dad's side. And that's um, in the hierarchy of uh, how we look at things. That carries some diplomatic kia'ani, which is a very diplomatic, uh, negotiates through different complexities of things, which these two perspectives, definitions of our, our indigenous ways really you might say it becomes salient as you move along in space and time and and and, and growing up and understanding the world and, and what your identity is all about. So well James, that fundamentally how you learned how you grew up, as you said, you didn't read until seventh grade. And that's not a bad thing. You know how in, in Western society they would think that's a bad thing, but it's a completely yeah. different way of learning and ex- it being more experiential and you are hearing things orally through oral tradition, the way that works with your memory and your embodied understanding is so different. And that's a fundamental difference between uh, how a Western education, as you might say, removes imagination. Yes. And and, and I think you, you, you hit it right on the head of the nail is that um, I think much of our indigenous ways is orally transmitted as Russell Means says, you know, we don't put things on dead leaves. <laughs> and it's it's kind of an interesting concept, which for a long time I didn't I didn't get a chance to sort of redeem that part of my life until later on I realized um people were saying you're very intelligent, you you know a lot of things. And it's really being able to function in two language uh epistemology, mm-hmm. you know, perspective. What lenses am I looking through? And mm-hmm. so it's being able to to look through the indigenous lens and and the worldview of uh, colonization, education, you know, the industrialization sort mm-hmm. of flattens things out and flattens time out. Mm-hmm. So in reality, time is viewed as as rolling on you and how much you're at peace will determine how you function within that time and space. Whereas mm-hmm. the Hellenized Neoplatonic view of time is more penetrating. And that's where you get this Greek uh, perspective, uh, you know, seize the moment uh, rather than receive the moment. Mm. Understanding those two time dimensions, there's a lot of juxtaposed going on uh, within our culture and we're not picking it up mm-hmm. mainly because we're not looking through this marginalized indigenous perspective. Right, right. Well, I, I think, you know, when you talk about seeing time linearly or circularly is a huge difference. Like you say, it's a whole cosmological worldview of difference and how you perceive and apprehend the world. Yeah. And it, and it gets repeated over and over in front of us, like how we view healing, how we view the climate. Right now, we're we're really s- sort of nervous and fearful about what's happening in the climate instead of realizing that we have to coexist with the environment and how we adapt to that and how we transform ourselves in that adaptation is so key instead of having this systemic view of colonized perspective where we have to react and we have to fix this machinery when in reality this this natural cycle this natural system it's right. not a machine. It's it's really a part of a what I call indigenous fractal cosmology, which mm-hmm. if we layer ourselves in those in those cultural capacity like plant hyphae or nanoparticles within within the charges that the fungi and the bacteria uh, draw into um, a lot of these chars, where whether it be biochar, whether it be natural cycles. Mm-hmm. All are happening in front of us, but we're not stepping into that reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, as you said, you've talked about that separation from the environment, which comes from that industrialized kind of my intellectual mindset or rational thought, kind of put established human beings outside of their environment as something separate. Yes. Can you speak a little more about that or actually just address what is when you say indigenous regenerative intelligence what do you actually mean yeah that's that's a really good uh i had this in a dream uh, i was trying to help uh, articulate and and uh because we have so many uh folks uh coming through different nationalities different countries different 
folks, we have to we have to articulate, you know, what it is that we were doing. We started out as a demonstration farm, which eventually uh, collapsed on itself because it was like going to a petting zoo or a zoo experience. <laughs> and so what we needed to do was move into an experiential awakening. Mm. So the farm itself, we don't we don't necessarily it's not because James is sharing all this information about indigenous spirituality. It just happens in, in the context of our farm. Mm-hmm. So the indigenous regenerative intelligence uh, came to me. Indigenous is using local materials, uh, making your pens round, approaching things from the farm in a secular pattern that everything gets used within that. It's a closed system. And it's really moving towards self, self-reliance. And, 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 and in that context, you know, uh, really capturing what was happening in front of you and and not putting it to waste uh, mm-hmm. because it's not producing any any uh, production or currency based uh, development uh, it was it was primarily because it felt right in our hearts that we were in sync with nature so that indigeneity is something that needs to be shared philosophically across the world that we are all indigenous to this world why mm-hmm. send rockets to another another planet? Because we've <laughs> colonized and destroyed this this right. planet here when we should have been coexisting, and that's the indigeneity is really uh, coexisting with what what you have. Mm-hmm. And then the regenerative, I know it's in bed with a lot of corporations right now. It's mm-hmm. a sexy word; it gets thrown around, but we just wanted to use that because we degenerated the soil that we're working with was. My grandfather plowed the heck out of the soil. Mm-hmm. The topsoil blew off. So mm-hmm. degenerated. So what mm-hmm. we needed to do was regenerate it, start from zero and move up. We know that, you know, we know that this this situation here on earth is is not good, uh, especially on our property, on our land. Well, even that word property, it's right. not my property. I know. We don't own the land, the land owns us. So mm-hmm. those kind of concepts, I think, are are in front of us. So regenerative meant really just starting from zero, moving up mm-hmm. to to get those microbes working, to get the the use of the nanoparticles, to incorporate the plant hyphae, making sure there's there's a connect. We're having conversations with plants, which mm-hmm. I think Western perspective says it's animist animistic, which I think right. has marginalized us to a large degree but in reality there's so many so much energy happening on the farm that mm-hmm. if we tap into that it, it becomes regenerated in a lot of co- capacities and then t- the intelligence is honoring those things that we have dishonored and we mm-hmm. have dishonored the land we have dishonored the microbes we have dishonored the plants mm-hmm. we have monocrop we have done a lot of things of dishonor not mm-hmm. even considering the perennials, which has a higher nutrient density than annual crops. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things of dishonor that the intelligence needs that platform on which it needs to be honored and given given dignity to. Well, you know, also, I was wondering what are you, would you say for you, intelligence and wisdom, are they interchangeable? Or is there a reason why you specifically chose the word intelligence? Yeah. Well, the intelligence is recognizing that it's more of a objectified language conversation that you're having with the plants or with the land or with the water molecules, whatever. It's that kind of transition that begins. It's the initial sort of covenant that you build, you know, in this relationship with. Not Mm -hmm. a treaty where it can be easily cut up and, you know, lawyers are involved, but a covenant Mm -hmm. is a larger tribe and a smaller tribe, the smaller tribe going to the larger tribe and and saying, let's cut a covenant so you won't come in and destroy mm-hmm. our tribe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a relationship that gets established. And in that relationship, we have to honor one another. Mm-hmm. So in that perspective of uh, sort of contextualizing it with the farm and with uh, the intelligence, it's the beginning greeting process. Like you say, aloha, I say yatehe. Mm-hmm. It's that relationship that gets built and then moves into a deeper understanding. You move into knowledge, which is just knowing a lot. You're educated. You're, mm-hmm. you're receiving a lot of information that's head knowledge. Mm-hmm. But the wisdom is the heart knowledge. 
Mm. Wisdom, you, you're getting into a deeper level of this connection between knowledge, wisdom, and then moves into a spiritual awakening that we we sort of connect with this deeper relationship with nature. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about feeling? Because I think that's also part of the problem with, say, Cartesian thought, because feeling is not really honored. And yet with indigenous traditions, world the world over, feeling is essential. You feel the world. You feel everything that you're connected yes. with. And that's an imperative. Yeah. And that's what's happening. I, I think, Carrie, you're, you're exactly right, is that what's happening is there's an awakening going on all over the world, COVID, climate, all these things that are, are kind of in, in, in a state of transition, in mm-hmm. a state of, so it's really a, a basis for opportunities for this, for us to step into and become aware of what's around us mm-hmm. and then how we participate in this connective connectivity with humility, not arrogance. So if you look at philosophy, of uh, industrial Western perspective, it really began to originate with Descartes saying, I think, therefore I am. And then Francis Bacon going after the women healers mm-hmm. and then establishing this, uh, you know, white male dominance, right. which is part of the machinery. It's a part of their their brain, the mm-hmm. side of their brain that says, you know, we can control this, we can, yeah. we can deal with this. And and there's, uh, as indigenous people, we always try to look at the balance of male and female. Mm-hmm. We're talking a lot about the female aspect of the earth, when in reality, there's a lot of things involved with Father Sky, with the idea of that connectivity with the molecules and getting that biotic pump going again. So there's, mm-hmm. a, there's some things that we're missing in this process ancestral knowledge that was based on moving into indigenous fractals, uh, the cosmology, the the relationship with the earth and how we are participants with it, not controlling it, not dominating it, not making it mechanical, which is really, we're, we're, we're at really the end stages as most prophecies have been made through our indigenous elders is that we're at the end stage right now where we can either turn or move into these marginalized perspectives of of how to keep things intact mm-hmm. or we're going to continue this process cuz let's look let's just look look at it this way the western european mindset culture cannot take agriculture further because they've degraded it they degenerated right. to the point mm-hmm. that 40,000 years of elder culture knowledge is mm-hmm. not being used and not being incorporated. And when mm-hmm. I say science, I'm talking about the reductionist siloed thinking, mm-hmm. petri dish <laughs> versus that of yeah. indigenous observational perspective and sending it through oral traditions, continuation of of this uh, year after year observation. And that's really what indigenous science is to us, is that we're observing all this cosmology in front of us and then we're creating songs and dances and, and and different things that that we celebrate, you know. Right. I would say there is indigenous science, right? But it's spiritually based. Yes. That's, and that's a very it's a different perspective versus, like you say, versus being like a head kind of intelligence or a way of approaching it. Well, that's from that's, the that's a, the the what do you call it? Checks and balance is really our spiritual ethics. Not mm-hmm. morality. Morality is what you do in front of people, but ethics is what you do when you're alone, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you're alone with nature, what is the process that's taken place? Are you becoming attached or, or, or disenfranchised with that whole reality? Mm-hmm. So in that in that understanding of, of nature, it's it's happening all around us. And like I said, we're not stepping into that reality and and working with the systems that, that are so sophisticated and right. science will continue to verify what i'm talking about indigenous science have already verified a lot of things within their culture but they haven't been uh, they've been so marginalized that they haven't really had the fair shake to compete mm-hmm. with, with reductionist science because mm-hmm. most of reductionist science becomes siloed it becomes capitalized. It moves into a currency-based economy, which further detaches us, and we become the co-owners of the intelligence of that uh, technology, 
and then we start selling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then we start we start selling this to to a larger audience, which moves into just consumerism. We've created such a huge impact, a, a footprint of consumerism. That's all everything is set up, Amazon and different companies. It's really for you to buy more stuff instead mm-hmm. of looking at what is what is the, the nutrient density of my foods that I'm eating, not mm-hmm. what somebody has created someplace else and has dumbed it down because of the synthetic fertilizers. And now I'm eating all this and then I'm eating cardboard. On top of that, I'm eating all the chemicals that have been sprayed on there. Right. Yeah. James, we are going to take a break right now and we will come back and speak more about Spirit Farm and its evolution. Thank you. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We air every Friday at 4 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and Sunday at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org to check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media for an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits. We encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today, you are listening to Indigenous Regenerative Intelligence and Navajo Perspective with host Carrie Kim and guest James Skeet, Executive Director of Covenant Pathways and Spirit Farm in New Mexico. So we are back with James Skeet, co-founder of Covenant Pathways and Spirit Farm. James, could you speak about the evolution of Spirit Farm and why you said that it the demonstration farm collapsed on itself and then you changed it or the it morphed into more of an experiential awakening? So how are people coming and spending time with you or learning from you? What actually happens at Spirit Farm now? <laughs> Yeah, we we've had a lot of uh, sort of morphing that's gone on, but for me, it's <laughs> like a collapse, you know, because it's my heart and soul, you know, with with what we thought uh, could be a sort of a plausible and and practical approach to to farming. We, our intention was really, we we have my wife and I moved out of managed care, which we felt like managed care wasn't connecting the the dots. Uh, one of the dots was uh, that food is medicine. Mm-hmm. And, and that dot was disconnected. And so instead of um, moaning about all this, we decided to move into sort of a pragmatic approach, practical approach to taking theory. And that's how we took a deep dive into soil science. Uh, Elaine Ingham and Dr. Johnson and now Mary Lucero is a PhD in, in, in um, um, the biology aspect, genetics and different things mm-hmm. like that. So we just we just fell in love with the soil and what what could happen in this very brittle climate environment. Mm-hmm. So we morphed into demonstrating it in front of our indigenous people that many of them have been colonized, many of them have stopped growing, many of them become further detached and commoditized. I call I'm writing a newsletter right now called the Commodity Indian which mm-hmm. refers to when mm. we made things cheap, when, when we mm. when we have dumbed down our our nutritional foods and some other things. By the way, I have a lot of stuff blogged in, in our website, uh, spiritfarmnm.org. And uh, you can de- take a deep dive to some of the things I'm sharing. Eventually, uh, I'd like to see if we can uh, manage to write a, a, a book of all the mistakes that we've made. You know, one yeah. is called um, Distracted by Nature. And uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's going to be interesting because we 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 approach this whole concept of farming from a very Western agricultural standpoint, putting little, originally right originally, yes, originally. and then uh, what we morphed into was that we saw us building the soil, the the microbes in the soil. We took a deep dive into the fungal and bacteria ratio and on and on. And, and and as the years went by, we saw this sort of robust annual crops that we did. And then we moved into pre-annual crops that are around here that the indigenous people knew about. And then we finally morphed into the last three years into experiential farm. And we have animals, uh, chicken, turkeys, uh, chiral sheep, which I want to make sure yeah. that we talk a little bit about uh and the, and the pigs and uh i even graze my pigs on cover crops um 
-hmm. stuff like that. Looking at Alan Savory's holistic uh, management, mm -hmm. which I thought was a very linear approach to, you mm -hmm. know, plan. So mm -hmm. we're, we're modifying a lot of these things. We even modified the bioreactor with the Johnson Sioux and also the Elaine Ingham, and we collapsed to where it would use less water. So mm -hmm. as we as we morphed into different things, I like that word morph. As yes. we morphed into different perspectives, we were constantly observing and researching and combining both reduction science and as well as observational science. And we began to see this almost a changing of our souls mm -hmm. as we work with the soil. Mm -hmm. And there was a spiritual connection that was missing. And that's the thing, Carrie, is that What's missing in all the things that we're doing in the Americas right now, there was a point where we would have moved into some spiritual connectivity and understanding and making this country what, what it is. We ended up marginalizing people and using our own European concepts that I think uh, 200 years have degraded the soil, have ruined the environment, and have done some damage and we have we've got nothing left to give to our generation that's coming. That that's well, it's like you said, it's um, shut down that that ability to observe and observe nature. You yes. could see right away that that it was being ruined. That you're yeah. overplowing or over you know tilling is ruining the microbes, et cetera. You could observe that yeah. if you were connected. But so um, we're we're really careful on what we say, like pioneer discovery we're at the frontier because all those are european <laughs> words of conquest mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. like watching the planet of the apes you know <laughs> the zone you know uh, different things like yeah, yeah it's like we're in a, we're moving into a very scientific stuff that's going on but at the same time our culture is becoming very degraded Mm -hmm. uh, our relationships are further detached and we live in fear. It's because mm -hmm. we're constantly viewing this technology as if it were something that will benefit my soul when it doesn't. Right. And there's there's people that are uh, almost simultaneously changing all over the world. Uh, and if we don't do it, somebody else is going to step into it because that's the way nature works is that he's going to call on somebody that's going to get out and 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 make a difference and so we just feel honored that we were able to step into it and hear it uh even in this corporate world that we live in i i kind of see it as like a the diagram of this labyrinth of this man in the maze we went mm -hmm. out to the very outskirts and now we're mi migrating back to our hearts and that's we so love what we're doing Mm -hmm. And I never got this joy when I was when I was working as an office worker, corporate setting, you know, working with the CEO there in New Mexico, rolling out the Obamacare. <laughs> I did not have that. I mean, that was always something that wasn't right. You know, we're 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 pimping people to get money and so that the, we can get the state more money so that we can do more right. synthetic drugs to the people. And just we're not we're just putting out fires. Maybe that's a good time to speak about transformative adaptation and how you talked about, like, we did everything that we were supposed to do. We did yeah. the study. We worked for corporations and you were never fulfilled, never happy until you went back to farming and which was going back to your ancestral roots, going back to your native, you know, ancient wisdom. So if you could speak about transformative adaptation, why yeah. it's important to adapt and change the system. I'm biting at the bit to talk about that because <laughs> <laughs> when I was working with NGOs all over the world, we, we really stepped into this sort of what is poverty? How do we develop communities in third world country? Even those concepts are, are very Western colonial concepts, you know, but I was working as a program writer and developing some of these things. And one of the things we came across was how do we define poverty? And the way mm -hmm. we define poverty in the end product was a lack of alternatives. It's mm -hmm. really was, uh, mm -hmm. just a one choice. And, and it was a result of the colon industrialization mm -hmm. that created this sort of tension. So mm -hmm. coming back to that, as we look at our, our communities, what's happened is the indigenous people 
just kind of to lay the foundation of, of your question is indigenous people viewed land as commons. It wasn't to be owned. In right. fact, Jefferson and Franklin, when they would meet with the uh, the Iroquois folks, uh, the Six Nation, they would mm -hmm. learn what it meant to, to be a republic confederacy. And so a lot of that history uh, was written from a different lens, which uh, emulated their their prowess of power, whereas mm -hmm. what was missing was the indigenous, because many of them died of diseases, so they were they were snuffed out from, mm -hmm. from European diseases. Mm -hmm. But what happened at that point was this whole knowledge of a republic was established, but the Native Americans always saw land as commons, as something mm -hmm. that uh, could, is supposed to be used by everybody. Right. But Europeans saw it as possession. So I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, I kind of went on the bunny trail. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, I think maybe from here we could segue into what is wealth. According to your culture, how would you perceive wealth? You had sp spoken about the distribution of wealth and how that actually functions in you know, Navajo or Diné tradition. Yes. And it's a very tentative, tentative <laughs> kind of uh juxtaposed position that we're in is because because of what we're doing we are so wealthy i mean i don't make a whole lot of money in terms of currency-based economy and that currency-based economy is really the inception of uh of the industrial era and that's what's caused the the detachment and the from nature and the environment the the battle of sitting bull for example uh you know the 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 greasy grass where where they fought, Custer fought. Custer was trying to become a, a president, and mm -hmm. uh, Sitting Bull was is still right. really attached to the earth and to that spiritual connection. When when they had uh, the the battle at Little Bighorn, you got to realize it's a hundred years almost to the to the to the time that this battle mm -hmm. took place. Mm -hmm. And what took place was very interesting. It was a bartering economy, a nurturing economy. The horse became such a powerful and they were really powerful because of the horse it was a horse economy mm -hmm. but when the um, uh, mm -hmm. colonizer came they were looking for gold because they wanted to create their currency-based economy which in jack mm -hmm. Ruff, uh, right. rutherford's book uh indian givers points back that that currency-based economy has created all this sort of subterfuge of economies that really detaches further from the spirituality but going back to this um, uh, story, the collision of a bartering system economy versus that of a currency-based economy, mm -hmm. a lot of the Cheyenne went, the ladies went and poked uh, Custer's ears all the way through with an arrow so that he would listen in the spirit realm. Mm -hmm. So in that, it said like, I, I forget what the actual figure was, maybe about $20,000 of paper money floating through the prairie after the battle took place. Mm -hmm. they, some call it a massacre, but one, you know, calls it a victory because uh, what, of what they were standing for. Mm -hmm. So in that collision, I think, is is really about how the economy has created the problems along with the agricultural system in the Americas, where many landowners or land slaves, I should say, from right. Europe came over and they became landowners and then they enslaved the agricultural workers, which still is intact right now with the with the Mexicans yeah. and other things that yeah. with the blacks down the Mexicans. So mm -hmm. agriculture has to be redefined. And mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of these uh, folks that are calling regenerative large ags, they're making more and more money because of the subsidies. And yet mm -hmm. these small gardeners that we're working with trying mm -hmm. to amend the soil are right. the ones that need to be that need the support to get this regenerative climate change to take place. Yeah, you've talked about commodity foods and the, how it keeps also these large scale industrial farms keep the prices of food low and who ultimately suffers are the, the local yes. small scale yes. farmer. But yeah. maybe we you talked about the horse economy of many of the native nations but what about the sheep economy? that happened for the the Diné or the Navajo. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for keeping me on track, man. That's, oh, I know you want to that's, speak. That's, that's, my, that's my message right there is that actually sheep that was almost moved into extinction, uh, like the buffalo. It was our right. buffalo mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to, to the rest of the uh, communities. 
the Navajos or the Diné mm-hmm. were the first to really pastoralize that concept using the horse. The horse were Mongolian descent moving mm-hmm. from the Bering Straits all the way down. We got a language group that run all the way up into the Mongolians. Mm-hmm. That same horse, and this is some stuff I'm writing about. Great. That same horse on work that they came off the steps of the Mongolian Russia moved into Portugal and Spain mm-hmm. and the Moors and the people brought them over because they could handle mm-hmm. the brittle environment vegetation. Like climate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that oral tradition and that story got reconnected when seven horses bolted uh, not too far from where we live, just kind of south of the Acoma Reservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven horses bolted. And so when the Navajos saw that, they, they reconnected their, through the oral tradition as the dog, because the dog was named She, which means the, the burden carrier. Mm-hmm. And, and so that when the horse got reestablished, the dog became the poop of the horse. <laughs> you know, so that that in itself uh, is really connecting this kind of uh, concept of of what is really historical, which is part of the decolonization that I use that. We are using our history to bring it forward to decolonize us, you know, because mm-hmm. I think historically 40,000 years of this wealth of elder culture information is is really starting to uh, disappear. Mm-hmm. It's like every elder that dies. So the right. wealth in itself with the indigenous people, with the Navajo people to drill down with the, uh, the Diné is the omega-3s in the chul sheep. It has high levels of omega-3s, mm-hmm. high levels, mm-hmm. better than any other sheep. And there's mm-hmm. some researchers that are working on that. Mm-hmm. On top of that, the chul sheep know how to pick the plants so that they can regenerate the land. Mm-hmm. That's in itself something mm-hmm. that really tickles. Tick- and, and when the Navajos were really strong from the 1600 up to into the 1800s, it was because of the foods they were eating, the omega threes, and the use of the horse in the pastoral setting, which no, the sheep was, came from the Spaniards, correct? Yes, I mean, the- yes, and they were almost extinct until um, just some wonderful white people that said, "Hey, this these this animal's special," and so they were actually pockets that are migrating back, journeying back. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing with Carrie is that I really want to stress is that a lot of indigenous people are on this journey back to their center, just mm-hmm. like we're just a couple steps ahead of them. But right. a lot of people are journeying back into their indigeneity and realizing that's where life comes from. That's where the the, the connection with the, the natural fractals there. That's where the spirituality becomes deeper again. And and they're they're doing the walkabout now, and then coming back to themselves, and that's what happened to us. In this deepening of our relationship with nature, we realized that that was what was going on with us. Yeah, to go back to the source. Well, I I love what you have to say about that. Uh, the DNA of indigenous peoples is being tickled, yeah. or you could say being reawakened, rekindled. Yes. I mean, Mother Earth itself is calling all people back to the land. I would say, it's- right. There's not a human being on earth that, that doesn't need to go back to the to their original home in this sense. Yeah. What we may not have time to get through it before our next break, but I just wanted to, to speak about the primary reason for growing food, because you gave a very wonderful example of why are we growing food? We have to remember from an indigenous worldview, why are we growing food? The purpose of it. Yeah, the purpose of growing food is much deeper. In the Southwest, because <clears throat> it fits into the complexity of our our religion, uh, mm-hmm. the Zunis, the Hopis, the Akamas, the Lagunas, the Navajos, the Wallapais, the Supais, all those are indigenous people that have uh, worked in this adaptation that you mentioned. And trans- transformation is, we realize that this machinery of the industrial system is so huge. Consumerism now we have to take bite-sized chunks and adapt. But in the end, we're hoping that this transformation takes place. It's like the story, uh, biblical story of the, the Tower of Babel, 
where mm-hmm. people just get disenfranchised with the work that they're doing in this setting up this industrial system, mm-hmm. you know, sending more rockets to other other uh, planets instead of right. Right. you know healing healing our land, healing the people here. And slowly, people are becoming disenfranchised, and so this adaptation is really key. Uh, we're not talking about sustainability. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sustain the system that's put us in this. Sustainability yeah. should be a perspective of the future, mm-hmm. sustaining the the food system, and and so that was always been in 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 our environment, the Western Southwestern brittle environment, was always the key at the center of our hearts, and the ceremonies and the dances all emulated that relationship with the Creator and Mother Earth and all these things that are connected so that we can sustain through generations and we are leaving something behind in that context. So, mm-hmm. James, thank you so much for that. We are going to take another break and we will come back to talk more about the native wisdom of biocosmology. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Ecojustice Radio. We air every Friday at 4 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and Sunday at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Ecojustice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today, you are listening to Indigenous Regenerative Intelligence and Navajo Perspective with host Carrie Kim and guest James Skeet, Executive Director of Covenant Pathways and Spirit Farm in New Mexico. Listeners, we're here once again with James Skeet, co-founder of Covenant Pathways and Spirit Farm. And James, if you could speak a bit about the native wisdom of biocosmology, what do you mean when you say this? I think it's just, uh, let me break it down a little bit, and then I'll get back to that question itself. The bio means life. The cosmology is the different onion layers within within the intelligence of beings. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the two-legged, the four-legged, the plant hyphae the fungal, the bacteria, and down into the nano levels of this charges within the chart, biochar. Uh, biochar is a good example of that, where it attracts and creates homes for that. And that's really the origins and what the sages really go deep into when they meditate. You know, they move back into this really deep, deep relationship with the earth on charges, on energy. Mm-hmm. So on the farm, we really try to look at how are we concentrating our our energy for that day on the farm? Mm-hmm. Not, of course, my my wife is a Mennonite Amish. Okay, uh, she's always doing a list. I said, "Honey, the problem you're going to have at the end of the day is that the the ones that you didn't check off, you're you're not you're going to lose sleep on that, you know. But <laughs> if you focus your energy <laughs> on that, you know, there's a there's a different way of of uh, you know going through the farm that day." Right. So yeah. the biocosmology is these onion layers that we're attached to and how we celebrate that with life through ceremonies mm-hmm. and songs. Our clans used to have like Zadi means the one that plants in the middle. Usually the mm-hmm. middle child is the one that puts the seeds in the ground. Mm-hmm. It's, it was that li- that level of sophistication. It's, it's a, the awareness of the, the context in which you're working mm-hmm. in. And uh, what that work means, is it worship or is it a to-do list? Right. Is it this connectivity of listening to the plants and realizing that there's a conversation going on Mm -hmm. and they're trying to converse with you? My mom used to say the plants are reaching out to us to heal us, but we don't have that intelligence. We don't have that connectivity. But it's through this biocosmology that I started um, talking about, just like in Indigenous Regenerative Intelligence. I had to put a name to it. Right. So, so that, the bio, yeah. yeah, the biocosmology is really missing in the conversation of biology and chemistry. Uh, and the approach of agriculture has been very synthesizing chemical into mm. land to control the land uh, so that the plant is for the plant, not not having that relationship in a deeper exudates of roots working with the biology within the system. 
Right. So it's, it the whole aspect of interdependence and interrelation, yes. interconnectivity, as you would say. Yes, that is so key. It's that uh, connectivity uh, with one one another, and it's the humility of our hearts to hear. Mm-hmm. We don't hear because we we're not we're not see the, the ego of human beings are so <laughs> strong. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so strong that we really have to go through a sweat lodge or a place mm-hmm. where there's a just transition that's taking place in our hearts. And when that gets cleaned out, then we move into this just transition of moving through time and space with an understanding of clarity, of our hearts being right, and with humility, you know. And that, and then what establishes is this reciprocity. Yeah. That, well, you had also spoken about deep dreams. Yes. And to me refers back to this, like, being in conversation with the plants and and receiving what the plants are trying to say or teach us. You mentioned that the plants were here first. They are our grandmothers and grandfathers. And so they are our teachers. Yes. And the same way with the bacteria and the fungal, you know, they were here before the plants. And when the plants moved in, see, they they have that relationship. And uh, what we've done is it's, it's nasty. It's, it's, it's not good. It's, it's Mm -hmm. the arrogance Mm-hmm. Uh, we're distracted by our arrogance and disrupted by nature, you know, in, mm-hmm. in this day and age. And, and nature is really disrupting our our plan of attack each day and realizing that nature is speaking to us. Mm-hmm. It's All saying the time. something. Yes, it's saying something to us that we need to get our hearts right. Mm-hmm. And that's where the spirituality comes from, is that spirituality is just really approaching those deep dives into the spirit realm. In a way, it's spiritually reductionism, you know. You're mm-hmm. reducing yourself to that degree so that you can become more more con- connect connected to what's going on in front of you. And uh, that in that connectivity, you realize that you're fully a human being. That was part of the the relationship that we have with the creator, our understanding and our intelligence. All those begin to make sense, and we moved into a time of opportunity, not a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this time of opportunity is 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 our open door to to become fully, fully human. Mm. Well, you had said something, or you had quoted someone. I don't remember who it was attributed to, but you had talked about that the white man would perceive and have with foresight, but it was always from a distance, whereas the red man was able to have short-sightedness, which was being in the present and being, they only understood what was taught to them by their grandfathers. It's a very different way, you know, being distant or actually being in the world, connected to nature, connected to all life. So, Well, the, the, the lenses, the, the lenses and animals, the epistemology, the lenses philosophically, what we're looking through is really key. And I shouldn't, all, all those are important things in the context of nature. It's wonderful. Right. It's complex. Mm-hmm. Like the, the sheep have a sort of a horizontal pupil and it's mm-hmm. looking from side to side. And mm-hmm. that's what indigenous people are doing is looking, observing from side to side. Whereas the pupil of a predator is round and it's siloed and it's, and it's looking to, to, to extract mm-hmm. whatever it is that's in front of it. And so that, and that extraction is, is, to a point where we are overpopulating a predatory spiritual concept mm. rather than understanding this kind of sense that all things should work together and cohesively and, and that we are all connected in some capacity. When animals die, insects die, we, it diminishes us because mm-hmm. we are less of a human being because those things are becoming extinct. Look at what we've done in the last 200 years. It, it's it's because of our concept of consumerism and extraction that has put us in the straits. Yeah. And egocentrism, you know, the Anthropocene way. Yes. Yeah. We're at the center of the universe and, and we're the ones also to save it, solve it, do do everything. We're we're everything, you know, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. How do you encourage, you know, modern people, let's say settlers, you know, who they're not the direct colonizers, they may be the descendants or not, but how do you encourage them to integrate the physical practices with the spiritual. You know, there are millions of people engaged in regeneration, restorative practices, but how about moving beyond also techniques 
and moving in a deeply connected spiritual way. And I know that is movement and it is happening, but is there anything you can share of encouragement, words of encouragement on this? Well, to to the settler community, I have to move back into this uh, different epistemology. We have to be careful of what we mean by truth. I heard this story one time where this angel kept looking at itself narcissistically every morning. (laughs) (laughs) And one day tripped over a little cloud, you know, and slammed into this mirror. And it it was the mirror of truth, you know, and it came Mm. down to earth and broke in many pieces. Mm. And so to this day, people pick it up and say, I have the truth, you know. Mm -hmm. It's really fragmented right now because of the the colonization, uh, because of the industrial era, because of some things that we have done that has really spoken to our individuality, not community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opposite side of, of community is commodity. So, you know, those those are things that I think we're, we're, we're starting to see take place. People are slowly dismounting from this tower mm-hmm. of table and starting to realize, hey, you know what? I'm disenfranchised. And that, I think, is a good crisis. It's a crisis, not of crisis, but of opportunity. Uh-huh. And it's in front of us. This opportunity is right in front of us and we have to make a choice. Yeah. I wish you would share, you had shared about the Archimedes and the lever and the fulcrum. And maybe this is a perfect opportunity to speak about that. You talk about being outside of the world in order to change the world. Well, when I was, uh, when I was studying uh, dead white men philosophy, You know, different uh, philosophers. I I ran across the the lost writings of Archimedes. (laughs) You know, this um, give me a fulcrum, you know, and a lever long enough, and I can move the world. You know, Mm -hmm. and that concept is is very much things that come from outside of us. Sometimes speak a larger truth in us that we need to do. You know, and that's I think that's where a lot of religion comes from, and that's where human rights come from, you know, is is that we can't pull ourselves by our own bootstraps. Mm. We need something outside of ourselves. And we've gotten marginalized. And, and if you really want your company to grow, I'm speaking to corporations right now, mm. just include diverse people because mm. they know how to work around these barriers of systematic racism. And now I'm moving into how do we sequester equity? Instead mm-hmm. of talking about equity and or social justice in the larger context, how do we sequester that? You know, what does it look like to sequester mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. our communities? So that's going to be the challenge. And the other challenge of agriculture is how do we de- decentralize the systems, mm-hmm. whether it be mm-hmm. power, whether it be agriculture, whether it be water. How do we decentralize and use local, local mm-hmm. uh, energies, uh, local markets, local um, you know value adds? So that we can we can really get this uh, community growing again. This whole industrial system has given us a false pretense, false concept, false worldview. That I I think these marginalized perspectives seem to come from outer space, <laughs> but in reality, it's been here. It's mm-hmm. just that we we've been blinded by what's in front of us. Well, I think it's when you talk about that E.O. Wilson quote talking about, you know, human history didn't begin eight or 10,000 years ago. It goes tens of hundreds of, yes. you know, millions, yeah. thousands of millions of years ago. Remembering that the origin yeah. didn't begin with us in no. this time. No, yeah. and I, I do think uh, even with bacteria and fungi, if you look at them, we don't know if they're the same guys. You know, we don't know if bacteria <laughs> dies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we don't fungi. We can't. We don't even know if you want to discover something, discover the, the different designs of fungi, you know, it disappears mm-hmm. as soon as we put them on the Petri dish, you know, mm-hmm. but that's, yeah. that's the sacredness of the earth, the sacredness of nature. The, if when we treat it with that sacred, heavy duty, you know, uh, energy that's there, then mm-hmm. we'll understand a little bit more of how, what we're listening to and what we're seeing. Right. Right. When you talk about the, the, you mentioned a quote that, you know, nature is strong and resilient, but science gives this false sense of security and arrogance regarding the deep and mysterious nature of Father Sky and Mother Earth. Woo, that is so cool. That was you. Yeah, that's what you need to, to, to. 
but you know, I, I wanted to ask you, what are your comments about, you know, you talk about the industrialized revolution and the industrial revolution, and how that decimated the natural cycles. But what about the comments about the technological revolution now? We have technology, genomics, AI, more scientific human encroachments are coming and on the way and happening now. Where's the balance and, and the hubris and how do we move in a time when that is happening simultaneously as the reawakening? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it doesn't have the spiritual ethics. Right. If it did, then we have the balance. We don't right now. Right. It's all about making money and mm -hmm. allowing the, the, the have-nots to work for us. And then the ones that have, you know, start buying up land and, and just a, a few own so much land and so much property that, you know, we don't know what their richness is. You know, uh, we don't really have that concept. And they're becoming lonelier and fearful because they're going to lose that on the stock market. You know, mm -hmm. all, all this stuff is is prefabricated stuff. You know, it's like furniture you get that's that's just com compressed. You know, it's going to fall apart. Right. But I, yeah, I, no, matter I do, what they, no matter what is done, it's yeah. inevitable. The end yeah. is inevitable for the, that system. Yeah. It doesn't work. What's scary is, and it's what's happened with the derivatives and the banks. And uh, I was talking to a, a friend of mine that uh, works in Stanford. And he said, you know, James, that that's uh, all this bank banking collapse collapse because a lot of students were going into the uh, MBA program. Uh, the business program, and they didn't really have a bachelor perspective on uh, other other ologies that were in the universities. So it became very mm -hmm. siloed. And mm -hmm. so the end product was a lot of these young people moving into the banking system and the stock market, and they were young and they didn't really have any ethics. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a that's really an example of what we're moving into is that this intelligence, AI, you know, the technology, it's going to rape us and it's going to kill us and it's going to further uh, dehumanize us and it's going to further pillage and, and and remove a lot of these things that are natural uh, mm -hmm. that have this connectivity with with nature. Well, it feels like that it's, you know, it's the abiotic versus the biotic, something living versus something that's completely inanimate. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what you have to say about when we talk about economies, when you can have, there are so many billionaires being generated every minute. And, um, you know, our young people are kind of taught to pursue that and they're able to, to gain so much wealth, that kind of material wealth, like almost, in, I don't want to say instantaneously, but so quickly that that's what they pursue, unfortunately, you know? So I don't know well, what you have to say to the younger generations out there and um, what their focus should be for the future of the human race? Well, you know, we've had a lot of young Not just people. humans. I don't want to say just humans. Yeah. It, all well, life. A lot of young people have come to the farm, and what's missing in that generation is discipline. Discipline to to stick with things. You know, I come from a generation we didn't have a whole lot. We didn't have a lot of food, so for us to have a job, we hung up, hung on to it. You know. This generation, they, as soon as they their feelings are hurt or something changes in them, they'll move into something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, the farm is a really good tool to surface that, like flax. On uh, you know, when you're boiling something, you get all this surface. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I really don't. I can't really speak to that. Except we we have a lot of interest in in young people having an elder spirit. Mm. Let me spell that out. That mm. elder spirit, is, uh, these young people, somehow or another, they know that the generation that we are in have have not handed over anything of value except consumerism. Mm. So they're they're feeling very uh, trapped, and they're feeling that they need to get a hold of this concept of the biocosmology and the the spiritual intelligence and. Indigenous regenerative and all those things are really, really key things to them, and they're willing to pay the price. Right. And if they stick with it, I think we can revolutionize. We're at the end days, really. The end, the end. Uh, we don't know where this is going to head. We're becoming more and more uh, watered down. You know, our relationships are watered down. Our our spirituality is watered down. You know, there's a lot of things of of watering down that's taken place. 
it's not heavy duty uh, medicine anymore. It's it's really just to just to keep us occupied long enough so that we feel comfortable in our skin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think there's nothing more inspiring that when we see um, an elder or elder sharing their wisdom with a youth and that connectivity is just magical. I've seen it so many times, you know, in this current generation now to see people meeting each other, finding each other for the purpose, for the common purpose of changing the world. Yeah. But changing the world or returning the world to sure. our origins, to that way yeah. we used to live, yeah. you know, how do you, what do you say to people who, you know, European settlers, other people finding their ancestral roots, because there's been such a divorce from those original ways of being with the land that so many, every single culture on this planet have that at their origins. We're connected to earth in animistic, animistic, shamanic ways, the ways of the mystery, the ways of you didn't know things from your mind. You knew it from being connected to, to the cosmos, truly energetically. You know, how do you what do you say to people to be able to tune into that? You know, you kind of have to step outside of the whole rat race of the world, you know, the mundane world. I think it's happening almost serendipitously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's happening all over the world. I'm finding a lot of this kind of language that we're speaking right now through through this podcast and through the different places that people are hungry for this. And they'll gobble this stuff up, you know. Joyce and I are just really happy to be a part of the energy that's that's taking place, the synergy that's taking place. And uh, I, I think it's going to happen whether we're in it or not. You know, I think it's 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 the the spiritual sort of intervention that's taking place from nature, mm-hmm. from the creator, and right. uh, we have to embody that. Otherwise, we're going to be totally lost in this whole hurricane that's coming mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah definitely like you said we have to focus our energy in that same way so james could you please share how listeners can stay in contact with you and also you mentioned about your website where they can read your blog and the articles you've posted there you've got many videos if you can share some of your links and ways that people can be connected with you sure i do blogs off and on and it really i have to think through this stuff and share it and uh, what's happening is there's a lot of people that are uh, getting on our newsletters uh, that we send out. Our organization uh, has two different concepts uh, or different labels. Um, one is uh, Covenant Pathways, which is our how we started on, on really studying covenants. The other one is uh, spiritfarmnm.org, okay. which is more about the the farm and what goes on and what we're learning, what we're researching, taking a deep dive on on the churl sheep, the biochar, the soil, uh, the the, um, remediation of soil, looking at larger landscapes with the different um, animals, bale grazing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the desert, uh, brittle environment uh, perspective. It's, It's all on how you hold your lips. <laughs> uh, no, it's um that's where yeah. you can contact us. Our our um email is uh Navajo Designs with an S at msn.com. James, thank you so much for all that you are doing. Thank you that you have heard and gone back to express your own spiritual understanding and then share that with the world because it of what so much is needed for people to reawaken to their spirit and to mother earth and restore that connectivity. Thank you immensely. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to our guest, James Skeet. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. This has been Indigenous Regenerative Intelligence and Navajo Perspective. For an extended version of this interview, become a member of our Patreon or visit our website at ecojusticeradio.org. Please connect with us on social media at Eco Justice Radio, SoCal 350, and Adventures in Waste. If you like what you've heard today and you want others to be informed, you know what to do. Subscribe, share the episodes, and help us continue our efforts by joining our Patreon or making a tax-deductible donation to the show.
project of SoCal 350, the show can be found on KPFK, KPFT, all major podcast apps, and at ecojusticeradio.org. Executive producer, myself, Jack Eit. Producer and co-host, Jessica Aldridge. Co-host, Carrie Kim. And engineer and original music by Blake Quake Beats. And until next time, remember, the power is yours. <laughs>